Hey guys, we're so excited to share this message with you on the Center Set podcast. My name is Ethan and I lead worship here at Center Set. We'd love for you to download our app so that you can keep up with all that is happening in our community. Text Center Set to 77977 to download. Good morning, good morning. If we have not met, my name is Ali and we are... Uh, let me just kind of back up and give you some history. Four years ago at Santana Row Hotel Valencia, we launched this church called Boulder. We were there for two years and four months. And then this crazy thing called COVID-19. Depending on your political bias, is it real? Is it fake? I don't want to get into that discussion. We were shut down for 60 weeks. And then because of COVID again, every public building in San Jose and Campbell in Santa Clara County was shut down. So we were, we were forced to do church at another church at five o'clock. Sounds good, but they didn't have AC. Uh, it's a great growth strategy. Turn up the heat, move five miles. And we went from bougie Santana Road to a rundown church. And miraculously, God kept us alive. We didn't just survive, we thrived. We grew 20% this last year. And I'm just believing we're not just changing buildings, we're changing mindsets. And we're in a collection of talks called Think like a monk. It's on your screen. And the, the idea is that God in Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. Which means if you want to change your life, you don't change your behavior. You change the way you think because it will change the way you live. And so many people, you're not thinking before you think. It's this idea, are you thinking about what you're thinking about? And uh, the, 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 war, the, the Bible says that you and I can be transformed as good news by the renewing of our mind. Science calls this neuroplasticity. The Bible calls this renewing your mind. It should be hope for some of you because you've been in this pattern, this thought process, maybe some insecurities your entire life, and you're wondering, am I always going to be this way? Am I always going to live with fear, insecurity? Some of you are like, man, Pastor Ali, I'm type A. I'm like crushing it. You, you probably struggle with pride. We'll help you later on this sermon. Uh, but I, I really want to give you this, this thought to hope to, and help you. It's this. Who you have been is not a great indicator of who you can become. Your past does not determine your future. Jesus does. And you don't need a new thought. You need a God thought. So are you guys ready to be challenged and inspired? Second Corinthians 10 verse 3 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power. Someone say divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive, this is like war language if you can't notice this, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. I'm going to cross-reference this to 2 Timothy chapter 1. It says, for, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, I want that. Turn to your neighbor and say, I want that. I want to preach to you around this idea, a sound mind. A sound mind. If I can get someone to get me some water, and I'm going to pray. Thank you so much. Bow your heads and close your eyes. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we're here today. After two years and six months, God, we're back at 11 a.m. Thank you for your word that's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, as we read it, let it read us. Let it change us. Let it transform us. May we walk in one way and we, may we walk out another. We want to look like Jesus. We want to talk like Jesus. We want to look more and more like Jesus. If you believe that, everybody said? Amen. Everybody said? Amen. 
Come on, can we make some noise for Jesus? If you're new to our church, we are a loud church. This tribe has a vibe. And, uh, but in six weeks, my wife and I, we celebrate our nine-year anniversary. Let me tell you how exciting that is. I've spent a quarter of my life with this one. You do the math, when you went to public school, it's going to be hard for you. But uh, like, like the great theologian Axel Rose, every rose has its thorn. Come on. As beautiful, as talented as my wife is, she is always late. Always one time I came to her house for a date at 6.30, and she opens the door in her pajamas. And many times, ladies, you do your makeup and pajamas. She hadn't even done that. So I sat on the couch for an hour because she was running late. One of the, the reoccurring nightmares, if you want to call them, is when we were engaged that on our honeymoon, I had this re happened three or four times. I'd be at the airport waiting to catch the plane, and my wife wasn't there. And I had this delay. I even told my wife, I'm like, if you didn't show up, I was going to take pictures and Photoshop you in. <laughs> so imagine how early we went to the airport. Uh, four years ago, we went to Italy. It was a trip of a lifetime. We saved for two or three years. My wife was born and raised in Italy. She had not been back in 25 years. And yet, when she went back, she still went as a 21-year-old. I don't know how you ladies do it. <laughs> so we saved. We show up to the airport four hours early because I'm nervous we're going to be late. And as soon as we arrive at the airport, uh, we hand him our passports. The guy behind the counter, we're about to check in our luggage. He goes, excuse me, where is Yasmin? I'm like, oh, she's over there with our 18-month-old. She's like, can you please bring her to the counter? I'm like, sure, but you have her passport. I need to speak with her. She comes up. She goes, ma'am, you cannot board the plane today. The name on your passport does not match the name on the ticket. I was like, oh, just change the ticket, sir. No, 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 we can't do that. I said, why? It's software. Just change it. He's like, you have two options. Either you buy another ticket and your wife leaves tomorrow morning, or you can drive to SF, stand in line at the embassy, and then drive back and make it. I'm like, even if I was Superman, I couldn't make this. I remember my wife looking at me, he's like, what are we going to do? I said, honey, no, 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 no. What are you going to do? <laughs> I'm getting on that plane. This isn't my fault. I'm not going to suffer for your disobedience. Come on. I, I, I'll take two drinks of wine for you. I'll send you the picture. Thankfully, long story short, another teller changed the name. We spent two hours in line. Thank God we show up four hours early. But the, the point I'm trying to make is it did not matter that we showed up four hours early. Didn't matter that we saved for two years. Didn't matter that we planned every detail, every Airbnb, and packed every suitcase. I wrote down this, your intentions are not enough to get you to your destination. Some of you don't realize this. If I want to get into a new country, I need a passport. Some of you want a new life, a new marriage, a new career. You need a new mindset. Who you were that got you here will not be enough to get you there. In the same way that I, I was my wife was barred without a passport. Some of you, you're being barred, not because you're gifting and calling, because you're thinking the old way. Uh, we are in the, this pandemic, if you want to call it. We spent this last week, the CDC says, if you have COVID, you don't have to quarantine anymore. That's actually, I love that. I, I, I've always wanted that. Forgive me for being one of those weirdos. I, I want to lick the handrails, just get it immediately. <laughs> yeah. But that means, listen, the, the pandemic is officially over. They're going to trail like the flu, but the effects of the pandemic, we're still figuring out. 
Uh, I read a study this last week that says 70% of high school kids have mental health issues because of the lockdowns in California. 40% of pastors want to quit because they don't know how to do their job in a post-COVID world. Listen, if there's ever a time in history that we need a sound mind, it's right now. Anybody thankful that God wants to give you a sound mind? He cares about your mental health. And last week we talked about this idea of a mindset. Sometimes when we think about what does it mean to think like a monk? God wants to give you not like positive vibes. He doesn't want to like remove negative thoughts. He wants to give you something deeper. It's called a mindset. A mindset, it changes the way you think, changes the way you feel, changes the way you behave. It's the difference really between a thermostat and a thermometer. A thermostat goes up and down based on the circumstance. A thermostat stays the same. Regardless of what's going on around it, you stay the same. That's what God wants to do. He wants to give you an anchor to anchor your life. And last week, there was this tension of a mindset of the flesh and of the spirit. That the mind set on the flesh brings death, but the mind on the spirit brings life, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. Pastor, I don't have self-control. Well, what is your mind set on? And this week, the idea is this idea of bondage and freedom. Stronghold and a sound mind. And God wants to help some people who have been stuck their whole life, maybe with fear, maybe anxiety. And you've, like, this is just the way that I am. And God says, no, 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 that's not the way I created you to be. I want to give you a sound mind, a mind that's free. I love that it says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. Notice it doesn't say a thought of fear. Or even a feeling of fear. Because fear is a feeling. Fear is a thought. But more importantly, it is a spirit. It's a demonic spirit that wants to lie to you, paralyze you. Most people who struggle with fear, they have all the talent. They have all the beauty. But they're afraid to take that step. I don't have what it takes. And I, I, I'm not enough. And fear wants to paralyze you because it knows what you're capable of. But God wants to empower you. Not with more fear, but with love and the byproduct is a sound mind. Anybody want a sound mind this morning? And may I cross-reference this with this other letter by the Apostle Paul. If you're new to church, a guy named Paul, he, he, he planted 13 churches for Jesus. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And he wrote this letter called 2 Corinthians where he discusses this idea that there's this battle going on. And the devil wants to fight you. And it's not in a ring. It's not on a sports field. The battle's between your ears. It is always a battle of your mind. Because yeah. the devil knows if he can get you to think a certain way, you will live a certain way. Because yeah. the way that you think determines how you live. Yeah. And Paul wants to say so many of you are struggling with fear and anxiety and worry. And that's just, you even use language, that's just the way I am. That's the way my dad is. That's just the way I am. And you, 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 you almost have this identity around your proclivity, around your insecurity, around your fears, around your anxieties. God says, I want to tear down that thing. Because a spiritual problem requires a spiritual solution, which is why God wants to give you divine power. Someone say divine power. This is not self-help. This is not like the, the bookstore at Amazon where you see six rows of, oh my gosh, you're more than enough. Just look in the mirror and say you're great. No, no, Buttercup, it's not that at all. <laughs> this is God saying you need help. You need spiritual help. And he wants to give you this, this mental picture that you and I are stuck in a stronghold. Someone say stronghold. stronghold. What's a stronghold? Something that has a strong hold on you. <laughs> trying to make you laugh. Here's a better idea. It's a mindset that accepts a situation as unchangeable. Even though we know it's against God's will. 
So anytime God says something, anytime God reveals something, and you know it's true, you just can't live it. Anytime you find yourself like, I know I'm supposed to share my faith, but I'm just afraid. I know God wants me to write a book or start a business, but I'm just afraid of failing. Anytime you justify your lack of action, it's probably an indication that you have a stronghold in your life. And in this language that Paul uses, this word stronghold, it's basically a fort. Imagine this was a city, and I wanted to protect the city and all the people in it. I will build a stronghold around everyone, a wall to defend and protect what's valuable on the inside. What's so interesting about Paul's word is not the good guys building the stronghold. It's the bad guy that's building the stronghold. He's building a stronghold to keep not good things out, but God out. Because he wants the lie to stay in. He wants you believing something that isn't true. This is the, the way that the enemy, Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. He's not the father of WWF. He's not the father of MMA. He's the father of lies because his name defines his power. He has no power over you other than lies. And he lies to you in such a way that you think it's the truth. That's why it's called deception. And the power of a stronghold is that you don't even know what it's doing to you. Because every time you believe a stronghold, listen, it leads to toxic lifestyles. It leads to a destructive lifestyle. I wrote down like this. Strongholds. Strongholds lead to addiction, stronghold leads to sexual immorality, strongholds leads to codependency. Anytime you say, oh, Pastor Ali, I can't live without weed. You don't have a, a weed problem. You have a truth problem. Because there ain't no high like the most high. But you believe you can't live without that thing. I can't tell you how many girls I disciple that says, I can't live without a boyfriend. And they go from one relationship to the next thinking they cannot live without someone in their life. You don't have a codependency problem. You have a truth problem. That you're not complete without him. You have, you, all you need is Jesus. I can't tell you how many people, they, they watch porn, they were exposed to something, they can't imagine a life without the internet. You don't have a porn problem, you don't have a weed problem, you have a truth problem. And the way you tear down strongholds is not by willpower and creating habits and putting all your goals on the, on the, on the fridge. You need a divine power to break down divine demonic solutions. You need, a, you need to tear down the stronghold. And the way that Jesus does this is he gives you the truth to replace the lie. He, he, he wants to take the lie that you've been believing and replace it with the truth. And this is how Jesus changes you. It's not self-help. It's divine help. So many people think, oh, man, if I, just, if I just attack the symptoms. No, 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 no. Jesus wants to transform you. He wants to change you from the inside out. It's not behavior modification. It's truth transformation. Because Jesus knows if you believe the right things, you'll live the right way. And you and I don't have a weed problem or a codependency problem or whatever your proclivity is, whether it's fear or anxiety, you have a truth problem. And often we think, man, are non-believers the only one who struggles? No, your, your pastor struggles with strongholds. I wrote down as a mind not influenced by God's truth is controlled by Satan's lies. I, I know it's heavy, but trust me, we're going to end on a high note. You're going to leave encouraged. But I need to give you the truth today. Some of you, your whole life is dominated, not because you don't have the willpower or the calling. You're just believing lies. You're believing lies. Look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 29. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house? Someone say strong man. In this story, you're the strong man. 
And I think it's so funny that God describes you as strong, but often many people in this room don't even describe themselves as that way. And anyone, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can plunder his house? That's the order. Jesus, Satan can't say, oh my gosh, click on this link. Oh my gosh, smoke this thing. No, he'll lie to you. One little white lie at a time, and little by little, you're bound, and then he steals and robs your joy. But Paul and scriptures, he wants to break down these strongholds. Let me give you an example of stronghold. Imagine this moment for I'm teaching on forgiveness. And I'm telling you how forgiveness is not for the other person. It's really for you. Forgiveness sets you free. Even if you don't feel like it, even if you don't want to, forgiveness leads to your freedom. The way you know you have a stronghold is in your heart. You say, Pastor Al, you, you don't know what this person did to me. Maybe it was a spouse who abandoned you. Maybe it was a, a relative who touched you in an inappropriate way. Maybe it was a boss who just betrayed you. Anytime you justify why you can't forgive, stronghold. Stronghold. Because what you're saying is, I'm not going to let God's truth in. I'm going to believe this. I can't. It will never change. It will always be the same. That's an indication that you have a stronghold. One of my favorite things about discipling people in Silicon Valley is you guys are high-functioning addicts. It's crazy how many people are on drugs and nobody knows. Because you're getting promotion after promotion. You're buying the house, getting the car, getting the RSUs. And I just learned this term recently, you wake and bake. Come on. Didn't know what this meant until a couple weeks ago where you wake up and in Jesus' name. And when you talk to people, like, I can't. I've done it for 10 years. I cannot imagine life without weed. And what you're saying is you don't need anything other than weed. You don't need Jesus who gives you a peace that surpasses understanding. You need weed. And what you're doing is you're having a functional God whose name is not Jesus. And you're believing you don't have a weed problem. You have a truth problem. Too many of you in this room, your mind is chewing on things and believing things that it was never intended to do. I don't know what your traditions are in your family. My family has this tradition where we'll gather for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And my mom, bless her one heart, who's in the room, so I got to say, be very nice. She will always make me the butt of her jokes. And back in the, this is like when I was like maybe two years old, I had a sister who was like, I think a few months um, after birth, like three or four months. I'm 18 to 24 months. I'm in that range. I don't know exactly. And my mom's at the mall, and she's learning how to speak English. So imagine she's in a new country, she has two young children under the age of two, and she's at the mall, and she loses me. Have you ever lost a kid, even for like a minute, it feels like eternity. My mom lost me for 20 minutes. Running around, and she doesn't speak English, so she doesn't know how to ask for help. She doesn't know who to go to. She's running around frantic with a newborn, and she sees me coming out of a pet store. with a bone in my mouth. <laughs> and I thought that was a perfect illustration because I was chewing on something I shouldn't have been chewing on. And that's exactly what Satan is doing to you. Some of you are chewing on fear when you're not intended to. Some of you are chewing on worry when you're not intended to. And it's not us that's laughing, it's Satan that's laughing. And what do you do when you're lost, when you don't know where you're going, when, when you need to find your way back home? Like, thank God for GPS. Every time I go downtown, I have no idea how to get to 280 or 87. Been here my whole life, every time I get lost. But there's a God in heaven who's better than GPS, amen? 
He wants to help you find reroute. GPS reroute, Jesus is better than rerouting. He'll get you back on purpose. He'll tear down the stronghold so you can live the life that you are meant to live. So you have to live your life in fear and anxiety defined by your addictions and your proclivities. Jesus wants to give you a sound mind. Someone say sound mind. But there's three things you got to do if we're going to tear down these strongholds. If you're new to church, we say this all the time. You got to take notes in church if you want to go to heaven. What? It's true. I learned this in seminary. You're 95% more likely to go to heaven if you take notes in church. Those are good odds. If you're not taking notes, you want to write this down. Number one, repentance. Someone say repentance. This is very misunderstood term. It's like almost like a cuss, cuss word or dirty word in Christianity right now. Like, oh my gosh, he asked me to repent. Ooh. Jesus said repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Okay? It's not a bad word. And sometimes because there's this lack of a proper definition, the best way to describe what something is, is by defining what it's not. It's not remorse. It's not, oh my gosh, I feel bad. Oh my gosh, it's a feeling. Oh my gosh, I, that, because I feel bad, I've repented, Pastor Allie. No, you didn't. You just, those are crocodile tears, honey. Come on. I have two kids, a six-year-old and a three-year-old. Pray for me. My three-year-old is a little Mussolini. She will, I will hurt you, Dad. I'm like, you're, you're not even above my kneecap. And you're threatening, I'll hit you. Oh my God, I've never in my life raised a hand to you. How, how do you get... And because my six-year-old is almost the same height, she will bite, pull the hair. She will, she, last, yesterday, she pushed my older daughter off the couch. Girl fell on her head. Daughter runs in the room. Dad, Zoe hit me again. And from the other room, I'm like, Zoe, you are in big trouble. And every time, like clockwork, Zoe, like, Dad, no, don't take the TV away. I'm sorry. She's not repenting. She just feels bad because I took her TV away. Give it an hour and she'll hit someone else again. Some of you think because you feel bad, that's repentance. That's not what repentance is. It is a feeling, but it's not only a feeling. Not confession either. I got caught. Remember 10 years ago, Tiger Woods, he crashed his car in his like gated community. And he came out like, oh my gosh, I'm on drugs. I'm on prescription drugs. And then little did we know, this guy was having a serial affair with his cheating on his wife for like 10 years. He didn't confess to any of those things. Why? Because he only confessed about what he got caught with. So many Christians, they just confess the sins that they got caught with. Who are you when no one's looking? Psalm 51 says, all sin is against you, Lord. So when you lie, when you hurt someone, sometimes we think, oh man, I sinned against this person. It's deeper than that. Sin is against God. Are you remorseful and are you confessing that you broke God's heart? I remember one time I was in youth group and there was this famous story of this one kid, super rebellious. It's always some like leader in the church has this craziest kid, right? And all these like youth kids are like confessing, oh, you know, I'm sorry I did this. Normal youth group stuff. And this one kid's like, God, I'm sorry for Borat. I don't want to watch the movie, but I... And the youth leader's like, whoa, whoa, time out. Bro, it's Wednesday. That movie doesn't come out until Friday. You haven't even, he's like, yeah, I know. I'm confessing now because I'm going to watch it on Friday. <laughs> Listen, you don't confess so that you can go do what you want. That's not repentance. Let me give you a definition of what it is because you need to understand this if you're going to break down the stronghold to have a sound mind. Repentance is this, a heartfelt sorrow. 
you feel, you feel guilty, you feel remorse. I shouldn't have done that. I broke God's heart over sin, not a mistake. God didn't die for mistakes, he died for sin. And here's the next part, a forsaking of sin. Oh, Pastor Ali, you know, you know, I'm repenting of my weed, but I just do it once a week now. That's sin management. If you're repenting, you flush that thing down the toilet because you don't want it anymore. And it says to follow Jesus. In the Old Testament, the word repentance was literally this, this word to change directions. That when someone repented, they were walking this way. They thought this, this path brought life and they were repenting and turning. In the New Testament, it's about your mindset. You used to think this way, and now God has changed your mindset. You are thinking new thoughts. You're not thinking, you're thinking a God thought. You're changing the way you think so that you can follow Jesus. You need repentance if you're going to take down that stronghold. But I need to mention something. Something that's, that's kind of difficult to explain. Some of you in this room, you have certain habits. You live the life that you live. Let's just be very honest, because maybe your parents were abusive. Maybe you had high school friends who exposed you to porn or weed. And often the, the, the lifestyle habits that we have are because of the environment and the friends that we have. And we think, it's not my fault. I didn't choose this. I, I didn't want this. And so what we do is we play the blame game. I wrote it down like this. This is so powerful you understand this. Acceptance. If you want to tear down a struggle in your life, you have to accept responsibility for your life. Let me put it another way. You cannot play the blame game. You can't blame the government. Some of you hated the last regime. Some of you hate the new regime. You following Jesus has nothing to do with who's president. Stop making excuses for other people's mistakes. Some of you are like, oh, I would give and serve in the church if taxes and inflation wasn't so high. So your obedience is based on someone else. What you're doing is you're blaming someone else for your lack of obedience. Pastor Al, you don't understand. I have the worst boss. He takes advantage of me. He overworks me. He underpays me. So you're lying and stealing, underworking, because you want to blame him. Promotion doesn't come from the east or the west. It comes from the, from the Lord. Yeah, Often, my wife and I, we, we counsel people and the stories that we hear of rape, of incest. It's, it's shocking how many people in our church are hurting. And I see people who are stuck. Who I'm, I'm this way because that guy did this to me. I'm this way because I didn't have a dad. And you can blame your father, but you're 30 now. And you haven't lived with him in 20 years. You can accept responsibility and tear down the stronghold or live in brokenness. You choose. No, it's heavy to hear that. But if you want freedom, you got to accept responsibility. I wrote down like this. You might not have caused it. But your healing is your responsibility. And God gave you divine power to tear down the stronghold because he wants to give you life and life abundant. Listen, if you want the abundant life, you need abundant thinking. The first step is repentance. Number two, if you're taking notes, it's this, reliance. Somebody say reliance. Sometimes we don't understand Christianity. We think we're saved by grace, but then we're, we're sustained by works. Let me explain that. Christianity is very different than any other world religion. In every other world religion, I came out of Islam. It's about what you do to earn God's love and favor. In Islam, you have to do good things. And you, you literally put on a scale. And if your good outweighs your bad, you're accepted. Christianity is different. God says your righteousness is a filthy rag. You can bring nothing to the table. 
which, which means it implies that good people do not go to heaven. It's crazy. Well, what does that mean, Pastor Ali? It, it means God has to become a man. He has to live a sinless life because someone has to pay the penalty of sin. He, Jesus came as a substitute. He came to die in our place. He, he dies so that we can live. He's punished so that we can be blessed. It's not good people that go to heaven. It's forgiven people that go to heaven. And we need Jesus. And often we think, well, because I didn't provide anything, because I didn't do anything for my salvation, now I've got to work hard to follow Jesus. Listen, you are saved by grace and you are sustained by grace. Let me show it to you. James chapter 4 verse 6 says, but he gives us more grace. Someone say more grace. His grace is stronger than your weed addiction. His grace is stronger than your fear, than your mistakes, than your proclivities, than your past, than your family of origin. It does not matter what you fear, what insecurities you have. God has more grace. Someone say more grace. Anybody thankful that God has more grace than my brokenness? But Pastor Alex, how do I receive it? James gives us the answer. That's why the scripture says God opposes the proud. Let me just pause right there. Sometimes we think oppose is like turn your back on someone. I'm opposing you. It's a very passive way of looking at that verse. That word in the Greek oppose is actually an active verb. It's like imagine a, a running back running through the room and he sticks his forearm up, up to like push you out of his way. That's what God's doing. He's pushing you out of his way. Pastor, I thought God loves me. I thought I was a snowflake. He can love you and oppose you, boo-boo. Listen, my three-year-old threatens my life and demands ice cream. I love her and I oppose her. God is the same way. And let me tell you why God is so opposed to people who are proud. Because there was a guy in heaven who was the leader of leaders, the worship leader who was literally covered in jewels. His name was Lucifer. He was the archangel, which means he was the highest ranking angel. And he wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to steal God's glory. Instead of giving worship and glory and honor to God, he wanted. So God kicked him out like he does all Laker fans. Come on. And whenever we act in pride, you remind God of that guy. But what's the solution? But God says God opposes the proud, but shows favor. Someone say favor. That's that word grace. But he gives grace, more grace to the humble, to the person who raises the right flag, says, I can't. There's this lie in our culture that says, oh, God helps those who help themselves. No, he doesn't. He helps those who can't help themselves. He helps those that says, I can't. I'm not enough. I don't have what it takes. I wrote down this strongholds defeat us, not because we're weak, but because we think we're strong. The person next to you, their freedom is not a willpower issue. It's a humility issue. And, I, and, I, and as a, I've been discipling people in this valley for over a decade, particularly in Silicon Valley, in this church for the last four years. You guys are the smartest, hardest working people. You guys excelled in school. You can plan, organize, prepare anything, make any sale. It's hard to ask for help because you don't need them in your work. You don't need him to start a business. And it's very humbling to say, God, I can't do it. Would you please help me? But God says that stronghold in your life will never come out with your positive thinking and your self-help. You need divine power to break down that divine, demonic thing in your life. Look what James says. He says the way you get this more grace, James chapter 4, verse 
Chapter 4, verse 6, 7 says, submit yourself. Someone say, submit yourselves. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That word submit is two words in Greek. It means to surrender and to commit. See, we confuse agreement with surrender. See, I'll, I'll do what God tells me as soon as I feel like it. Oh, I'll do what God tells me as soon as I, like, you know, agree with what he wants. God wants you to obey him regardless of how you feel and even when you think he's wrong. There's a difference between submission and agreement. God never asks for agreement. He asks for submission, which means it's done by faith. God, I don't trust you. I don't believe you, but I'm going to do it anyways. God, I feel like this is not a good thing I should do, but I'm going to do it anyways. God, I don't feel like following you and trusting you. God says submit regardless of whether or not you agree. And that's where the power lies. So many people don't realize the power comes not in you mentally agreeing with Jesus, but you surrendering completely to him. When the weed, the addiction comes, and I hear this all the time from men, Pastor Al, you don't understand, my marriage is stressful, my work is stressful, my kids are stressful, I need a release. But there's a God who wants to give you peace. Regardless of your situation, that surpasses understanding. It's in that moment where you say, God, I don't think praying is going to help me, but I'm going to do it anyways. That's when God gives you grace. Not when you feel like it, but when you don't. And I look what Jesus says in this Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Someone say, be strong in the Lord. It does not say, be strong in your strength. It doesn't say, be strong in your degree. Be strong by looking in the mirror and saying, you're, you're awesome. Be strong in your habits. Be strong in your discipline, your apps that help you accomplish all the things that you want to do. This is be strong in the Lord. And it is my, His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. You're going to go into a spiritual war, you need spiritual armor. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He's coming. It's not a question of if, it's when. Why would God give you armor if He was going to protect you? God never promises protection. He, promise, he never promises safety. He promises protection. Why? Because the arrows, the lies, the deception, oh, they're coming. The question is, are you prepared? I wrote down like this. You might want to write this down. You are not enough, but God is. And when humble people say, God, I can't. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not disciplined enough. God, I, I've been afraid of starting a business my whole life. God, I've never asked a girl out in my life. I'm afraid. That's a stronghold. God, I've never lived a life a week without smoke. I, I can't, but I choose to trust you. My daughter, who is six, uh, recently just had cavities. I blame my mom in the room, okay? I, I almost ran for governor in January because I wanted to end the tyranny of grandparents in California. Because my kids are introduced to gum and ice cream because of my mom. Thank you, mom. I'm not bitter or anything, no. So my, my daughter, has she has cavities. And let me tell you why that's significant, because every time we've gone to the dentist the last three years, it is an ordeal. We have to pray up. I'm praying in tongues. I'm like holding this girl down. I'm like, they're just cleaning your teeth. They don't even use the drill anymore. They just use the regular manual toothbrush because she's like freaking out. And now imagine this girl who's been afraid her whole life. I have to tell her and coach her they're going to drill a hole in your tooth. So what did I do? Honey, you're strong enough. You can do it. 
Say, I'm strong. I can do hard things. No, I gave her Psalm 53, verse 6. When I'm afraid, I can trust in you. And so imagine my six-year-old all week. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. And when she's in that chair, she's like, Dad, I'm afraid. But what are you going to do, honey? But I'm going to trust in you. And a six-year-old is learning. I know it's hard to picture this, but she's humbling herself. She can't lean on dad. She can't lean on her teachers. She can't lean on her mom. She's saying, God, I trust you. I'm afraid. I don't agree with this, but I submit. That's not just a good story. It's a picture of what your life can look like. It's in those moments where you don't have the strength, when you don't have the willpower, when you don't have the, the, the discipline. You say, God, I'm weak. God, what I'm afraid of, I'm trusting you. You got to repent. You got to rely. In a true preacher form, the next word is an R. You got to remember. Someone say remember. Get the worship team to come up. This one is the one that is, for me, the most significant. Because the first two are obvious. This is the one that we often don't remember. You have to remember who you are in Christ. I, I love the story of Gideon. God comes to him and says, mighty man of God. Gideon's the smallest brother in his family. He sees himself as small and weak. And God says, but you're a warrior. God comes to a man named Abraham. says, you are a father of many nations. Abraham's like, I've never been a dad. God says, I'm going to make nations come out of you. God comes to a dude named Saul who is a murderer, a thief, and destroying Christians. And God says, I'm going to make you a church planner. I'm going to make you a pastor to those who don't want to be in your church. Often when God comes to us, he calls you by a name you've never heard before. Because he sees a different version of you. My question is, what's the language you use to remember who you are? There are so many people I've discipled that are afraid stepping out. Or I had this one teacher in high school, Pastor Ali, he said, I'm stupid. Or I had this one girlfriend who said, I'm ugly. And your life is now defined by what someone says, not what God says. I wonder what God would say when he would describe you. I wonder what's the language that he would use. Look what he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. says, but God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. You ever go to an opera? The most expensive seats are often the ones that are raised on the sides. God's given this picture. You're seated next to me in the most expensive seats. I know maybe you're, you live in poverty. I know maybe you don't come from a, the, the best family, but I'm the king of kings. And I've adopted you and have a seat of honor for you. Do you believe that about yourself? See us with us, with him in the, in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. There's that word again. Express his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Anybody think of the free gift of salvation? Not by work, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Some translations say masterpiece. There will be long lines at the, at the loo to see the Mona Lisa. The angels long to see the masterpiece of God. Which is you. My question is, do you see yourself?
yourself as a masterpiece or do you see yourself as broken do you see yourself as stupid do you see yourself as less than but we are God's handiwork or masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do the good works which God prepared in advance for us to do one last person I'll land the plane Colossians 3 say it gives the same thing just says it differently I love the way it says here since then you have been raised with Christ set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your mind someone say minds you gotta remember on things above not on earthly things for you died and your life now is hidden with Christ in God when Christ is your life appears you will appear with him in glory about five years ago I was uh, on the phone there was some family drama in my family and usually my sister and I were the older two siblings we're the ones that have to deal with it someone's got to talk to mom someone's got to talk to dad or this uncle my sister and I are hashing this out and my mind is so focused on the problem that as I park my car I'm grabbing my stuff for work and I'm like sister I'm like sorry she's my sister I'm like you should hold for a second she's like why I'm like I can't I can't find my phone and she says where is it where, where did you have last have it I'm like I walked in the car with it I don't know for five minutes she's on the phone coaching me how to find my phone it's a perfect picture of you some of you have forgotten who you are you've forgotten that you are adopted in the family of God you have royalty in your blood you are the righteousness of Christ God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that you can become the righteousness of God you're a royal priesthood I'm not the only priest every person in here even God forsake forgive me for saying this Lord the Laker fans in here are priests because it's not based on what you do you're not a son by worth you're a son by birth priests come to church to worship God to minister to him in the Old Testament it was one dude that represented the nation in the New Testament God says all of you are priests but do you believe it do you know who you are if you want to tear down that stronghold if you want to live a different life it's not about changing your behavior change the way you think you gotta repent you gotta rely on the power of God you gotta remember you can bow your heads and close your eyes God thank you so much for your word that brings life in a broken situation God I've lived my whole life full of fear full of anxiety full of doubt full of worry I'm done living that way God I want to live the life that you have for me who do you say that I am God God I want to tear down those strongholds not on my strength anymore God but by divine power thank you Jesus that you give me the, the weapons Thanks so much for listening. We hope this message impacted you and inspires you to draw closer to Jesus. Subscribe to this podcast and give us a follow on Instagram at Centerset Church to keep up with all that God is doing in our community. Also, we'd love to be in prayer with you. If you have any prayer requests, please send them to info at centerset.church.